Thank you. It's nice to have everyone here at Gospel of Grace Fellowship. This morning, I have a special privilege to preach from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. By way of introduction, I want to mention that this section that we'll be going through is foundational to understanding what's going on throughout 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is Paul's response to a previous letter that he had gotten from the Corinthians asking questions. Some of those things, we don't know exactly what the questions were, but here we have a clear issue, and that is, who are the ones who have the wisdom from God that's revealed through Christ? What exactly is this wisdom of the this age which is doomed? So today, I'll be preaching on verse 6, and then next week, verse 7, and the week after that, verse 8. And we'll try to compare Scripture with Scripture. We'll be looking at Ephesians, Colossians, and other material to understand the definition of the categories. That being said, God will help us understand the text. Now, let me read verse 6 in its entirety including the context, and then we'll pray and continue. It says here, We do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, not, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Verse 7, On the contrary, we speak God's w- hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory, None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That's where we're going to be going. Let's pray, and then we'll dig into some of these questions. Thank you, dear Lord, for your goodness, your kindness, and your love and mercy that has allowed us to know what you've said, apply what you've said, and cling to you as the only one who can forgive sins and wash away the, the darkness and stuff from our lives and give us purity and hope in you. And may we have wisdom to understand these things and not get sidetracked. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, how I want to deal with this, notice verse 5 says, so that your faith, faith not, excuse me, might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. I've already preached on that, but let's, Look at four, excuse me, five key questions. If we go to the next slide, five key questions. And today I intend to answer those from the scripture to give us ground to continue to go through 1 Corinthians and understand what God said. First question, what is the true wisdom Paul speaks? Second one, who are the mature? Third, What does Paul mean by this age? Fourth, who are the rulers of this age? And then fifth, in what sense are they coming to nothing? By God's grace, we'll search the scriptures and get answers. Let me, before we go any further, let me tell you something. This really is important and is near to my heart because misunderstanding these things early in my Christian life caused me to go on a sidetrack 
that lasted a long time and it was hard to get out of. And that sidetrack was, I did not want to be an ordinary Christian. I wanted to be the higher order Christian, the wise Christian, the great Christian, the really mature Christian. And those answers were not really biblical, but it seemed like they were because I misunderstood 1 Corinthians. So I count it a privilege that I'm able to use the tools that we have to study the Bible and get answers that are based on the author's meaning. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians 2, 6a, the very first part of this. Paul says this, We do, however, speak in wisdom among the mature. Now the reason this is often misunderstood, misinterpreted, and cause, cause a lot of damage to a lot of people, is that as we go on, it seems like the mature are higher order Christians. And thinking that way, of course, everybody wants to be pious and higher order. Who wants to be just one of those less mature? I hope to show you that that's not the point, and we'll give you evidence for that. So what is the wisdom that Paul Preaches. I, if you've heard the previous sermons, you realize Paul's wisdom that came from God and it's verified in history is Christ crucified. That we've established, but let me give you some more evidence as we review and preview what God said. The wisdom has been defined Christ crucified. How do we know that? Well, it was already emphasized. We're going to read here 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 24. This is a review of what we covered before. Quote, For indeed Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now we've seen other evidence of that. For example, in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, Paul said, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It was also mentioned earlier in verse 18. So it's very clear that the wisdom Paul preaches in the other apostles is Christ crucified. Why is that important? Because nobody wanted it. Nobody was looking for that. The gospel is not seeker sensitive. It never has been. Because the the Greeks wanted their version of wisdom. The Jews wanted signs, but they didn't want the sign that God appointed that there would be the coming one, Messiah, God the Son, would be rejected and mocked and shamed and crucified. Cursed as he hangs on a tree. They weren't looking for that. So what God did in his infinite wisdom was brought Christ into the world, the son, the creator, and he lived a sinless life, was born of a virgin, and he was crucified. He was mocked by Gentiles and Jews. He died. He was in the grave and rose again. The day he died, by the way, he said, to the thief on the cross. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Bodily raised from the dead 
and appeared to many witnesses and ascended into heaven. That is the message. The wisdom of God is Christ crucified. It's not a secret higher order wisdom. It's the wisdom that's revealed in history. So that's the first answer. What exactly is the wisdom of God? Christ crucified. Let me have you think about something. If we were going to get advanced wisdom, how exactly do you go beyond Christ crucified? What's the higher wisdom? Well, if we understand the gospel, we don't want to go too far. We don't want to go beyond what's written. Christ crucified is everything. There's more, but it's still based on the Lamb of God that was slain for the foundation of the world, who came into our world. So Christ crucified is the bedrock. And so understanding the wisdom of God as Christ crucified helps us with the second question. Who are the mature? i give you the answer on the slide. Christians. And so the claim that deceived a lot of us that went through some of the higher order Christian versions in the 70s was that some believers are the, the Greek word teleos or teleoi, mature. We want to be the mature Christians. We don't want to be babies and we don't want to be unenlightened. So how do we do that? Well, the answer is what gets people into trouble. We're going to see that the mature are Christians. All Christians. That doesn't mean there aren't different gifts. That doesn't mean that some people have been Christians longer and they've learned and they're growing. But that's for God to know. We need each other. That's the theme of Corinthians. So the mature are Christians. I'll make a statement about that and then we'll quote a couple scholars and we'll continue to look at that. First, I want to make the statement that uh, I conclude from a lot of study. Many have taught that the teleos, or that's the adjective, or teleoi, plural, are elite Christians who can grasp deeper truths that ordinary Christians or carnal Christians do not. That's what people claim. I'm rejecting that claim. I wrote an article about this. Uh, that you can find CICministry.org, issue 101. I'll make a statement from that. And uh, it's really to my shame that it took 20, 30 years to find out that this is very clear and simple. There are no extraordinary Christians, but being an ordinary Christian is an extraordinary thing. And uh, God uses all things, Romans 8, to perfect us. But it took me decades trying to be an extraordinary Christian and failing and realizing that if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would never be a Christian. Because the idea of a crucified Jewish Messiah offends everybody. But it's true. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are your sins forgiven? Are you held by him and kept by him 
for future glory? If the answer is yes, then what's the higher order you're looking for? We need to rest in Christ and trust him to cause us to grow. Now, I want to cite a couple scholars other than Gordon Fee, who's the one who, whose work helped me realize the error of my previous ways. But let me quote some newer ones that really say the same thing because he had such a great commentary in 1 Corinthians. This is Dr. Garland wrote in 2018. Quote, Paul does not intend to divide Christians into upper and lower echelons depending on their capacity to apprehend deeper or and more serious doctrines that go beyond the simpler gospel of the cross. Again, Dr. Garland uh, from a commentary. The wisdom he speaks, says Garland, among the mature then is not a more sophisticated instruction for the gifted few. It is the same wisdom he speaks to all concerning God's redemptive purposes for humankind revealed in the cross. 1 Corinthians 1.18 and 2.2, we've already cited that. I agree with that statement. And if we think that preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified is boring, unenlightened, and ordinary, then, frankly, we've got serious problems. And when someone comes along or some group comes along, we're the new apostolic reformation. We can do signs and wonders greater than Jesus and the apostles. No, we know the secret to prayer. Well, what's the secret? Well, you have to, well, you know, visualize, meditate, hear voices. Why can't we be grounded on the rock, which is Christ and what's been revealed? Another uh, scholar, I won't quote to save time, but his Dr. Gardner's comments, same thing. I'll just give you the last line. Paul does not contrast one group of Christians with another, for that is precisely what the Corinthians were doing. Let me give you a preview. We'll have one in the applications. Or let's have a review. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. They wanted to divide up based on personalities. Later, should the hand say to the foot, I have no need of you, I'm citing from memory, do we need one another? Do some people have better gifts that we can figure out now? Do some people have better enlightenment than what's been revealed in the Bible? No. The miracle is that anyone would ever embrace a crucified Jewish Messiah that everyone hated. So my claim, and I believe we can prove this from Scripture, the mature, the teleoi, are Christians. So let's go on to the next phrase in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, 2.6b. Oh, by the way, CSB is the latest version of Holman Christian Standard Bible, in this case, after doing the research, it seemed that it's a very good translation. Others would work as well. But not a wisdom of this age. So what was that question? What does it mean of this age? The answer to that found in the context. This age is characterized by deception, pride, and human wisdom. 
In order to make sure I'm on the right track, I use some of the software for the word wisdom as Paul used it, and then narrowed it down to just 1 Corinthians. And it's interesting, wisdom, if you just think about it, wouldn't everybody want wisdom? Sophia is the word for wisdom. Sophos is an adjective, means wise. So I looked that all up. And normally, wisdom, yes, wisdom. The wisdom of Solomon, the wisdom of the Proverbs. Wisdom. Interestingly, the times that that word is used in a way that would be a warning or negative or false are most prevalent in 1 Corinthians. And so the warning is that there's something defined as wisdom that, in fact, is folly. It seems wise, but it's foolish. It's portrayed as wise by false teachers, but it's not wise and it's not wisdom. 1 Corinthians is clearly about that. I mentioned that on the slide. Of the 17 uses of Sophia in 1 Corinthians, 11 are about false wisdom or compromised wisdom or what's not really wisdom. So wisdom of this age is not what we need. And we need to realize that. I'll make a statement that I have here in my notes. Wisdom is good and desirable, but those who claim wisdom but reject Christ crucified are fools. Remember that word, an interesting word, moros. Whatever wisdom they love is of this age, which will come to nothing. So in 1 Corinthians 2.6, Paul uses Sophia in both ways. Paul does preach wisdom, but not wisdom of this age. There's two usages. Paul's wisdom, revealed by God, accomplished in history, proclaimed throughout the book of Acts as you follow the narrative, Christ crucified. Wisdom of this age, it's not good. It should be clear, but it's not good. It's not good to have wisdom that appeals to the world out there. If you want to turn to a verse, let's look at this. Galatians 1.4. I don't have it up here on the slide. Let's look at Galatians 1.4. It'll give us a pretty good idea about Paul's understanding of this age. Galatians 1.4, who gave himself for our sins so that he may rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God, our God and Father. Here's a question to think about. Have you been rescued from this present evil age? That tells us that you really can't be rescued from living in, right now it's 2021. You're still living in 2021. You can't get rescued from that. So it's not a date on the calendar per se. But there's a moral quality to the age that God allows to go on that we're living in. While we're in this age right now, God is rescuing people from it. What does that look like? He is 
redeeming people who were his previous enemies, dead in sin, and bringing forgiveness and life and hope. So this age is an age of darkness. Now that will lead to another question as we go to the next slide. Who are the rulers of this age? This one's a little trickier, and I'm going to continue to deal with a theme that I did when I went through Ephesians earlier. I believe it's both human and spiritual rulers. We talked about that a little bit in Sunday school. Let's look at this. 1 Corinthians 2, 6. C, or of the rulers of this age. The word archon, uh, and this is mentioned in verse 8, as those who crucified the Lord. Now, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ happened in history, a specific time, and the Gospels make it clear that the Romans who were in political rule, the Jews who resented that, all participated in rejecting and mocking Christ. There's no anti-Semitism here. This is what God intended to do. And therefore, on the scene of history, they said, crucify him. We have no king but Jesus. Just crucifixion itself was a cruel and horrible mockery and a slow, painful death. An unbelievably wicked way for someone to die. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. Why did the Romans use this? Because they wanted to warn everyone. If you make trouble, look at this. Look at what happens. But it was foreordained by God, though it was an evil event. You can see that in Acts 2. So these rulers are mentioned also in verse 8, which we'll get to later, another day, for those who crucified the Lord. Human rulers carried out this evil. However, spiritual rulers in the heavenly places are also of this age and oppose God. Let me quickly read these verses. I've preached on them, but I think it'll help us see what Paul is saying. One, excuse me, Ephesians 1.21. I, I did a whole series on Ephesians, and these can be found on the ggf.church website. Ephesians 1.21. Above all rule and authority and power and lordship in every name that is named, not only in this age, but the coming one. So in this age and the coming one, ultimately God is sovereign over all. But notice rule and authority and power. Same sort of idea. Those on the scene of history and spiritual ones. Ephesians 2, 2. In which you formerly walked. Now this is anyone who's a Christian. This is how we used to be. Any one of us. If you're a Christian, you know Christ used to be like this. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the authority of the year, the spirit now working in the sons of disobedience. So now, besides political rulers, there's also spiritual wickedness. 
It takes me back to the te- I ter- shared my testimony at one point. I think it was 50 years ago in July that I came to Christ. But my father, who's now my father-in-law, was my fishing and hunting buddy back then, Diane's dad. When I came to Christ in, in his backyard, I went in. I said, he wanted to know what was going to happen because I was pretty mad about Diane becoming a Christian. So I went back in, and he said, what happened? And I said, and I, I mentioned this. Well, I accepted Christ. Well, that's how I saw it, but actually, he accepted me. He doesn't need me. I need him. And my father-in-law said, who became my father-in-law, well, now that so did I. I didn't realize that. It was all very current. He said, now Satan is going to try to get you. And I thought, and I said this, well, it's pretty hard to come to believe in Christ. Now I've got to believe in Satan? Well, he wasn't saying you have to believe in Satan. He was just warning me. There'll, there'll be a counterattack. He said, that's all right. You'll find out. Well, what is the attack of Satan against Christians? It's an attack to tempt us to not believe God's promises, not believe that our sins are forgiven, not believe that God will keep us. The issue isn't whether there are evil spirits or various ranks of spirits, which we don't need to know. There's no taxonomy of demons laid out in the New Testament. There's different names. These things exist. They're spiritual. They're many of the angels have fallen, a third, I believe. And then these things are there. Rulers of this age include the heavenly, Ephesians 2, 2. But we need to believe in Christ. Let me read another verse, Ephesians 3, 10. In order that the many-sided, the multifaceted, we could translate wisdom of God, might be made known now to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places through the church. This, again, you can look these up on the website if you weren't here for those sermons. Here is what we need to be aware about. Yes, these beings exist. And yes, this is made known through the church. That does not imply that the church is supposed to talk to demons or to rearrange the cosmic furniture, as we heard in Sunday school. And that was the air that I got into early on. How does the church make known the wisdom of God? By existing. We're here. Satan lost captives. God sent God set prisoners free. You can look that up on the site when I preach to that. The very existence of the church as one new man saved Gentiles, saved Jews, people who together serve God are freed from the domain of Satan. That is making known to them that Christ crucified is the wisdom of God. We'll see that more in verse 8 when we get to it. In 1 Corinthians 2. One more passage in Ephesians, Ephesians 6, 12. Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
against the authorities, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Yes, that's true. When I first found that out, I thought, good, now we got to go out and deal with them. And so we heard in Sunday school, and I witnessed this, let's march around the city and bind all the powers over the territories. That's not our business. That they exist is, is absolutely true. But what's our role? To get people to, to see the truth of the gospel so they can be rescued. So that, Ephesians 6.12. So, spiritual and human. We'll cover verse 8. Let me give you another preview. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, because had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, thinking they had victory, thinking they solved the problem, thinking they got rid of God the Son, the human and spiritual rulers, yay, we won. In fact, they sealed their own eternal doom because God won the great victory. Let's go to verse 2-6-D. Nobody's going to say I just skimmed over the verse. And I, I'm not trying to make this more complicated. I'm trying to make it more simple by answering the questions up front. That's why we're going slowly here. Who are coming to nothing? In what sense are the rulers of this age coming to nothing? Katargeo is the Greek, translated that, or the dictionary version of it. Coming to nothing. The same word was used earlier in the first Corinthians in verse chapter one, verse twenty-eight. And there it says this. God nullifies the things that are, 128. God nullifies, destroys, abolishes, brings to nothing, however you translate it, the things that are. What are the things that are? Whatever this age has to offer. It's summarized in the temptations that Jesus went through. Summarized in 1 John the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. Those are the things of the world. Satan's temptation in the garden, his temptation of Jesus in the 40 days, the temptations that befell the wilderness wanderers, they're all the same. Is God going to feed you? No, we don't want this man to give us something else. Is God going to take care of you? Our dear ones, if you know Jesus Christ and you've been taken out of this wicked world, what exactly does the world have to offer? Would the lust of the eyes be better than eternal life? No. Would the lust of the flesh or anything? No. God will destroy all of those. Let's look at together at 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 26. There are a lot of chapters to cover, and I want to make sure uh, we get to some of these things early on in case it takes too long to get through 
the other 14 chapters. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 26. As you turn there, I'll read them to you. One Corinthians fifteen twenty four. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished, there's our word, God our Gale, all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be abolished, brought to nothing, nullified, destroyed, however you want to translate it, is death. Some of the other things, if you just have a temporal idea, the only thing that matters is what status you have in the eyes of others now, what pleasure you find now, how much money you accumulate now, how life goes now, if that's all that matters, then you're going to be sadly disappointed. Because even the most wealthy, happy, powerful people in this world die. Parables talk about this. The man was talking to himself. So thou hast many goods laid out for many years. I remember that from the King James. What was he called? Fool. Today your soul is required of you. So the last enemy abolishes death. Now this is an illusion. Psalm 110 and verse 1. Let me read that. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Psalm 110, verse 1, the most cited or alluded to verse from the Old Testament that's cited in the New. Throughout, it's cited. Why? Because people are asking, well, if this is the Christ, if this is the one, is this the one the Old Testament's prophesied about, then why was he crucified? God's wisdom is Christ crucified. Why is he crucified? What kind of conquering Messiah is crucified by the enemies of Israel? What kind of Messiah is rejected by Israel? The one prophesied about in Psalm 110, verse 1, and he ascended bodily into heaven before witnesses, and he's going to come as he left, and there will be judgment. Now, it's a complex event. It will happen. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. As a preview. I have a couple of applications I hope will help us understand these things even better. God's wisdom is Christ crucified, and all who know him are the mature. Let me quickly say something about that. That doesn't mean... We're as mature as we'll ever be, but that's who's referenced. Christians. Not the elite ones, all Christians. To escape the rule of moral and spiritual evil, we must turn to Christ. The wise need to wise up. Let's go to the next slide. I, every once in a while, I get a little bit poetic. 
not my nature. But this is literally what's being said. Are you wise? Then wise up. What does that mean? Well, the people who think they're wise really aren't if they're judging other Christians as being inferior. Let's read it. This is a preview of chapter 3, which is going to be really important. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 and 19. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you, who's that? Corinthian church, thinks he is wise in this age. Here's that phrase again. Let him become a fool. I'm going to stop right there, make a comment, and then we'll look at this some more. If we don't grasp irony, we'll get everything wrong. Somebody could take that out of context and say, God wants you to be a fool. No, he wants you to be wise. But if you are one of these Christians who think the other Christians are pretty pathetic compared to yourself, I'm wise, you aren't. I'm enlightened, you aren't. I'm spiritual, you're carnal. I have great gifts, you are so lacking in gifts, I can't, you shouldn't even be around here. That's the crazy idea, and Paul's going to rebuke it. So here's someone thinks, what's that word? Dokeo means to think, imagine, consider, appear. I'm the wise one. Let's read on. He thinks he's wise in this age. Oh, I see. Well, look at me. People in this age think I'm really great. It's not a good idea. Let him become a fool so they become wise. You see the irony? You become a fool to become wise. So some critics will say, oh, this is gibberish. This is nonsense. Nobody could ever understand it. No, it has the meaning that Paul intends. What did we learn earlier in 1 Corinthians about the fool. The fool is the one who rejects a crucified Jewish Messiah as the wisdom of God. If Christ crucified isn't good enough for you, and that's what makes you wise, you better become a fool so that, beca- so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God, with God. Since it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. This is an ironic rebuke because the wisdom of this age is false and foolish. Absolutely. This is why we need to understand the the idea of authorial intent. The Holy Spirit-inspired author His meaning is the biblical meaning. Now, what you can think it might mean, authorial intent. Did Paul literally think that the more foolish you are, the better off it is? He's talking about something very, very clear and important, Christ crucified. Now, let's unpack this a little bit. There are two imperatives in the Greek here. The first one is a warning against self-deception. Let no one deceive himself. Talking about people in the church. Self-deception is really harmful, 
horrible and we must avoid it. How are we likely to deceive ourselves? What's the besetting sin of the whole fallen race? Pride, alienation from God, refusal to listen to God's word. Uh, This is throughout the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar, as I mentioned, he learned that. Nebuchadnezzar said God's able to humble those who walk in pride. The original temptation. God didn't tell you the truth. You can become like God. You can ascend. So self-deception is really bad. We're warned against it. It's It's a word for deception with a prefix intensitive. Intensified deception. Really bad deception. Turn to this one. I believe we have time to do that. 2 Corinthians 11.3. Let's go to the next book, Corinthians, and see where the same word is used. Intensified deception. Really bad deception. Deception you don't want in your life, and I don't either. 2 Corinthians 11.3. I'll give you a moment to find it. But I fear, Paul wrote, that as the serpent deceived, there's that word again, deceived Eve by his cunning, that your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What does that mean? That our hope is in Christ alone. His finished work on the cross is the wisdom of God. And if you look back at the deception that happened when Adam and Eve were removed from the Garden of Eden, the serpent deceived her. And Adam went right along with it. In fact, Adam blamed God. The woman you gave me, she gave it to me. That's seduction away from the truth of the gospel. And so there's that intensified word for being deceived. The second imperative in this passage is let him become wise or become a fool. The word genomai, which is to be, is given let him become. It's an imperative. Let me make a statement about that that I have here in my notes. This is very ironic in that Paul commands the wise to become fools. Self-deception is dangerous. It cannot be allowed to go on. To become a fool in this sense is to realize that Christ crucified is God's wisdom. All who trust Christ are the wise. Today, do you trust Jesus Christ and him alone as your Savior? If not, on the next slide, I'll share the gospel with you and tell, tell you what God has said about that. But if you have, if you're a saint and you know Christ, a saint is anyone who knows Christ, sanctified one, then that's wisdom. All who trust Christ are wise people. This is my statement. In the church, 
who claim a better wisdom are in serious danger because they are aligning themselves with deception. If you're better than all the Christians around you, and you believe that, and you are able to say, look at these pathetic Christians compared to me, that is just the danger sign should be flashing. We all need it. Alarm, 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 alarm. What makes me, you, anyone? How are we better than others whose sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus? I'm not talking about people who say they're Christian, but don't even preach Christ or know Christ, but those who do. We can't make these calls right now. 1 Corinthians 12, we'll be seeing this as we go on. We can't make judgments ahead of time. Who's better than the other one? We don't know, but my sins are forgiven. So we can't claim that we know more than what's revealed in Scripture. Thinks, dokeo, dokeo, to think, imagine, consider, appear, express subjective mental estimate, says in the uh, dictionary of the Greek word, or opinion. Well, in my opinion, I'm better than you. Great. Now that I should get a merit badge for, right? Wrong. We don't know that. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? I'm quoting an old hymn. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We don't know who's better than whom in the church, but we know that God put us there. This is irony. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. He catches the wise in their craftiness. One of the ways that we know that we're Christian is that it happens now in history. He stops us short. When we're full of ourselves and wise and better than everybody else, God has ways in his providence to stop us short, remind us that God's wisdom is Christ crucified. We have one more slide, and I want to talk about turning to God, turning to God. Reject pagan idolatry, Turn to God through Christ. Let's read 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, and 10. They themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. There's that word again, rule my rescued. Are you rescued? Do you think you can rescue yourselves? Yourselves? No. You know Christ, you know you can't. I had no intent to be a Christian. I hated anybody who told me I needed Christ. Saul of Tarsus wanted to destroy Christians. Is there anybody who knows Christ who's trusting in him? who would say today, I didn't turn from anything. I always was a Christian. Some, that's not a bad evangelistic thing. And I'm, some of the evangelists will say, well, are you spiritual? Oh, yeah. 
One time uh, someone said to me, oh, I'm spiritual. I put myself in the hands of the universe. There you go. The answer I gave was this. The universe doesn't care about you. That's a simple answer. But God does. He sent his son. Some in Thessalonica, we read this in Acts, turned to Christ. But then they, the apostles were driven out of there and they went to Berea. They were more noble-minded. They searched the scriptures. The attack against the gospel went on, but he continued to teach the word of God. So then when he writes to them, you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. How did that happen? By the grace of God. It says in Acts 17, 2 and 3, I'll just read this to you. According to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. Be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within you. Is your hope in Christ or is it in this world? Is it in money? Is it in status, honor, friends, anything like that? Or is it in Christ alone? Those who believed had turned to God from idols. Some say, well, that's just for somebody somewhere else. I don't believe in idols. Oh, really? Christianity, in the bigger sense of the word Christendom, has as many idols as the pagans. Have you been to cathedrals and the idols, this idol and that idol? Kissing religious objects, oh, that'll save me. Idols are unable to save anybody. The best case scenario, an idol is an object. Worst case scenario, it's a demon. Maybe both. The demon loves the idolatry. How do you get out of that? You turn to Christ. So he reasoned. And then some believed, turned to God from idols. The wisdom of this age is idolatry. Let's make it simple. The wisdom of God is Christ crucified. The wisdom of this age is the very wisdom spoken by the serpent to Eve. You will be like God. Are you going to serve God through Christ who alone, God the Son, died for sins, was raised on the third day, or are you going to go down to the religious store and buy sanctification? Are you going to give more money to some religious organization? The idols want you damned. God called you to be saved. This present evil age will be judged And Paul even preached this in front of authorities. Festus and Agrippa, I'll quote that, and then again announce the gospel as we close. Acts 26, 18, jot this down. I've said many times, you can't wear out a Bible verse. They're there forever for us to know. Acts 26, 18, Paul in front of Agrippa II, Festus, 
And he's, this is what he said that Jesus told him to do. You get called in front of a big authority, well, say something wise. Okay, here it is. Here's what Jesus called him to do. To open their eyes so that they may turn, send an for repentance, from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. That's what Jesus told Paul. He recounted his testimony to Agrippa II. What about you? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? God the Son, second person of the Trinity, virgin born, sinless. He died for sins once for all, all the just for the unjust in order to bring us to God. He predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection and pulled it off. Everyone agreed the tomb was empty. He appeared to many witnesses. He did miracles that no prophet can do. He's not just a mere prophet. He is the prophet, the apostle, the sent one, the son. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Saved from what? Not a lack of fulfillment or happiness. Saved from the wrath to come. Notice the last line. Rescues us from the wrath to come. You might think, I thought, well, I'm doing well. I'm suffering no ill. I'll just keep living for the devil, even though I didn't believe there was one. Wrath to come is real. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Trust in him. Believe in him. He's the only one that can take away our sins and save us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your goodness and kindness that you have revealed these things in your word so we may believe and be saved. Help us not to become proud in our own estimation, to look down at other Christians, to think ourselves better, but to be a thankful people who know that but by your grace, we'd be as deceived as anybody ever has been. Lord, I pray that you help us as we go through 1 Corinthians, learn more about what's revealed in your great and glorious promises. And I pray that some, even today, will turn to you and believe the truth of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.